you would open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Over the last several months, Luke has been taking us through Jesus' steady march to Jerusalem. We are now only months away from his crucifixion, and Jesus has been teaching the crowd and disciples what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian. Last week, along the road, the Pharisees and scribes were complaining and grumbling that Jesus is spending time with sinners and even eating with them. Now, eating back then was much different than we have in, mo- in most of our cultures today. Even us who sit at the table every night, we sit till maybe 20, 30 minutes. In those days, sitting and eating with someone was taking interest in their <coughs> lives. It was taking two or three hours at a time out. The, the supper table was the, one of the main events of the day. And so for him to be eating with them was showing his care for these sinners. And the Pharisees were furious about it. Well, Jesus responded by telling them stories. The first two we looked at last week, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And all three of these stories follow the same path. Lost, sought, found, celebrated, and then explained. Jesus' response, response to these, these Pharisees and these scribes is basically telling them that Yes, I do receive sinners. Praise God, I receive sinners. Each, he, in the parable of the lost sheep, he left his other 99 and to go after that 1%. The 1% that had gotten away, he was going to lose none. In the parable of the lost coin, we actually had monetary value at this point. It was 10% of this woman's life savings. Now, if we can all understand what it would be like to lose 10% of our life savings. We would go and we would search everywhere for it. Well, Jesus tells him, yes, I'm the woman that will go and will not lose my value. Well, that which is valuable to me. Today, we begin the final parable. The parable of the lost son is more commonly known as the prodigal son. And we're going to see that God will, will go after that which is his tenaciously. I've entitled this sermon, The Joy of the Lord, Part 2. The lost son. Now stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm actually going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read 1 through 3. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 11 and do 11 through 17. Verse 1. Now the tax collector and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all they had and took the journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I, I perish here with hunger. This is the word of the Lord. That shows the love of God towards sinners and is authoritative over us this morning. Let's go to the Lord and pray.
Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have come and that you have sought us, that you have sought us as children, as lost sheep. Father, we pray that you would use this time to make your name great, to show your love, and to call people back to yourself. Father, we love you. In your precious son's name, I pray. Amen. So let's look at the first parts of context. Now, I'm going to do this almost every week because we have to keep remembering, keep going back to, keep understanding that there is a context in these parables. So often, when these parables are preached, they're rip kicking and screaming out of context. But the context is matters. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collector and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives. And eats with sinners. So you have an accusation here. The accusation is you are around and spending your life with these hideous people, these sinners. It's completely counter to the Judaism of that day. The Judaism of that day, which is a legalistic religion, said we have to separate ourselves. Anything and everything is offensive to God. And we even deem it offensive to God. You see, the Pharisees, if you remember, we talked about a few weeks ago. They didn't even want to put their minds in the place of what they considered sin. Because that, in, that, in that case, they would have defiled themselves. Jesus lovingly put them in two places of what they considered a sin. The uh, shepherd and a woman, which in those days were, were hinged upon separating themselves from sinners. The, the one claiming to be the Messiah, the one claiming to be the Savior that was supposed to take them and free them from the, the oppression of the Ro- of Rome was eating and receiving sinners, and so it's in his first two in his first two parables, these stories. His answer to them is a resounding yes. God is the good shepherd, and he not only is he a good shepherd, but he never loses a sheep. And God is the woman who never loses her valued possessions. Now he will tell them. And he also never loses his own children. I just want to point out for a second that it's interesting that these religious people found it offensive to think of themselves as women. And yet God, in this very same story, compares himself. He doesn't find that offensive. Those who say that Christianity and Jesus and Paul were all chauvinistic, God himself compares himself. Throw this out there into the crowd. Let's look at the, the next point. Lost, verse 11 through 13. And he said, there was a two sons. Now, it, it's decreased in number. First it was one out of ten. That's 10%. And now it's one out of two. It's 50%. Each one is also where it's decreased in the number of stuff that you have. It's also increased in value. A, a sheep had value. A sheep wool was kept coming back year after year. But it wasn't even his. The shepherd typically would tend to a whole group of other people's flock. So it had value. He got paid for it. But it wasn't that much. Well, then you go to the woman. She, she had 10%. We all know 10% is very valuable. 10% of whatever you have in the bank right now, whether it be a lot or a little, is still 10%. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of money to you. And so to this woman, it, had, it increased in value because it wasn't just a little, a little stipend, but it was 10% of everything she had. 
Well, now we're increasing. Now there's a man who has two sons. And we're about to see that the, the, the one that's lost is one of these two sons. That's 50%. And the value of it is massive. Now, the idea is that no matter what value we place upon a soul, because each of these are talking about sinners, no matter the value that we, as fallen human people, place in our soul, God places an abundance of value because they are created in the image of God. And he loves the soul of sinners. Let's look at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, this is a common picture, especially in today's terms, but there's nothing new under the sun. It's a picture of two sons. One, the older son, who seems to always do everything right. Always able to, to please the parents. Always getting the A's. Doing what the, whatever the parents want. The one son that is trying to impress everyone around him is the star athlete. And then you have the younger son who's always trying to keep up. But can never, can never keep up because he's usually two, three, four years younger than him. Who's living in the shadow of his older siblings. He wants to do as good and be as faithful as his older brother, but he just can't ever measure up. This younger sibling creates a world in his head where he is lesser than. He is lesser than his older brother. And he's sick of it. He's sick of that world that he's created. He, he doesn't want to live by his father's rules. He doesn't want to live by his mother's standards. Nor by his brother who is always doing what he views as perfect. Rudyard Kipling captured this idea in a poem, The Prodigal Son. He said, my father glooms and advises me. My brother sulks and despises me. My mother chastises me till I want to go out and swear. The son longs to get out on his own. He longs to live by his own rules where there will be no more people telling him what to do. No more people telling him what not to do. He gets to live by his own rules. So he, he goes to his father and says, I don't want to wait. Let me have what is due to me. Give me what's mine. This is the, a man who struggles with entitlement. Just give it to me. He, he struggles with immediate gratification. I'm not going to wait till you die. Give it to me now. And essentially what he's telling his father is, I wish you were dead. You'd expect the father in this parable, this story, to discipline him or maybe just ignore it because he's a little brat. But in a surprising turn of events, he agrees with him. In fact, he continues and says, and he divides his property between them. As the younger of the two brothers in that day, if there were two brothers, the younger brother would actually get a third and the older brother gets a two-third because the older brother was the one that had to carry on the family name. That was normal in that society. But there's a lesson that we can learn here. That the lesson is that, that as parents, we have to understand that there is a time to discipline your children and teach them, typically when they're younger, and there is a time to raise them up in the way they should go and protect them from harm Protect them from sin, but there's also time to let them learn. Time to let them learn on their own. Time to allow them to go and even get hurt by their childish, foolish living. It's not easy to do. But sometimes, it's exactly what is necessary. When I was in uh, working in the prison, I almost said in the prison. When I was working in the prison, I did a thing called... Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was a family group, and we would actually have 
the parents or, or the siblings or even the spouses come into the prison and they would, they would talk together and we, I would lead a big counseling session. And often was the case, and you could see the difference, one, they both ended up in prison, unfortunately, but one, the parents had, had finally gotten to the point where they were done. They weren't going to keep answering the phone calls. They weren't going to keep coming and giving them money. They weren't going to keep doing all of this stuff that was, it, it was keeping him going on his addiction. And then you had others. The problem with that one was that they started doing that too late, probably. The others, because they were the son, because of their... I've only dealt with men, so they were the, 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 their son or their husband, and they loved it, and they kept giving, kept feeding, and kept, and kept the, the, their behaviors never stopped. That, that's a problem. And so this father chooses, at this point, in Jesus' story, he's going to allow it. It says, not many days later, continues in verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. So first he tells him, I wish you were dead. Then he takes his money, which was making his father poor. And there he, he goes to a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. Now, the, the term reckless is important that we understand. It's, this is where we get the idea of the prodigal son. Often, I didn't know what it meant. But prodigal actually means reckless or or lavish living. And so he we don't get it from a wayward son, but a son who's going to go out and do everything he can, spend all his money, and never a dime to his, his name. He monetized all his land, all of his inheritance, and he did exactly what his father knew he would do. When the entitled child or children want, uh, they want instant gratification, get some money, and they, they get out of their parents' rule, they will spend it foolishly. Alcohol, video games, women, high-class food, high-class clothes. Anything that will fulfill the immediate need that they have. We live in a time where the last two to three generations, that includes me, y'all, have been taught that the same type of entitlement, the same immediate gratification. We're told that by the intellectual class, the educated class, that we can't even discipline our own children. I was told when uh, I was talking to one of the social workers that when one of, one of the girls was acting up a lot, that what I need to do is stop being so harsh with her and give her a dollar every time she, she had blows up and then chills out quickly. I looked at the therapist and I said, well, what that's going to do is teach her to blow up so that she can get money. It's foolishness, right? It's absolutely crazy. That's what they're telling us to do. They're telling us that we have to do this, 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 or we're not going to raise our children. We see it in education. And every class, you start with 100%. Even if you've done nothing. If, if a kid does what's expected, he has an A. And if he doesn't have an A, the parents go nuts. Well, in college, I had two primary professors for my little degree. And they were trying to buck against the system. They told us that on day one, that if you do what's expected of you, you would get a C. In all your papers, if you write, do exactly what's expected of you, you get a C. That's average. C is good. C is not bad. C is average. To get an A or a B, you have to go above and beyond. 
We had to bring in sources from other classes. We had to bring in source more than the six or seven sources we already had to do. We had to bring in an extravagant amount to get that extra grade. Why? Because you don't start out with 100. You start out with 100, you start with an A, you feel entitled to the A the whole time. When you start out with a C, you have to work your way up to it. The same idea. Now, these same professors who are behavioral science, were, one was actually the dean of the behavioral science department, so they have a little bit of credibility in here, told me that there are two ways to mature young people. Young people the most. The first is getting a job. Now, what do a lot of people tell their children? Don't worry about getting a job. Have fun, you're young. Well, there goes one, a maturity child. What's the other one? This is, this is them, this is their behavioral signs. It's like marriage. And what do we say, even in church? Put off marriage. Don't, don't get married yet. So, wait till you're financially secure. Well, we're never going to be there, right? <laughs> wait till you're, you have a little bit more. Wait, just wait. Well, there goes the other one. And the third one, according to behavioral science, not according to Jensen, having kids. Even then, we say, Liz Hell, don't, if you get married, just wait and don't have life. It was funny. Well, right after I got married with Chelsea, one of the, the youth from my old church said, told me, she said, you know, she was 18 at the time, I think. She said, you should wait to have kids. Don't have kids right away. You just need to enjoy your, your, your wife. And I was, at that point, Judah was already, she was already pregnant with Judah. <laughs> I was like, well, all right, whatever you say. Uh, The text says that he squandered his money. Now, this would normally be used in a farm analogy. It would normally be used when when farming. The the idea is you take your grain in your hand, you throw it as high as you can in the air so you can separate the chaff. Learned something new this week. Literally, the the picture would be taking money, going to a high skyscraper, and throwing it out the window. That's That's what Jesus is saying this young man did. The, the text says that this entitled son spent his wealth on reckless living, prodigal living. Now, I told you earlier, prodigal means literally extremely generous or lavish. So I don't n- name it the prodigal son because that, that isn't the point. The point isn't that he was extremely generous and lavish. The point is that he was lost. That's why I call it the lost son, not the prodigal son. He squandered everything he had. For things that he wanted without worrying about the future. Text continues as we get to our third point. Third point sought. Verse 14 through 17. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. Now as in normal, foolish, immature living, it'll always catch up to us. When everything is gone, our needs are then realized. Once again, when I worked in the prison, I was told countless times by so many different people that you're never, two things. One, you're never going to change until you want to change. And two, you're never going to change until you hit rock bottom. (laughs) Until you're at your lowest place. Until you know that you have a need to change, nothing will change. I would tell you that, that this is actually the beginning of God seeking this lost son. You probably didn't even see it. What happened? When he had spent everything, a famine arose. Now, we have to remember that God is the God of the universe. He has everything at his disposal. 
Nothing is outside of his, of his uh, ability to use to call sinners to repentance. And so God, sovereignly over this, caused a famine to arise. Famines don't just arise. They, they, they come. They're, they're sent in that country. And he finally saw his need. The, the, remember that this that Remember, this is all about the salvation of sinners. And our Lord has everything in all creation at his disposal to seek sinners. For Chris, it was going through a lot of hard times and then coming to us. She got to hear the gospel. She got saved. For me, I was 17 years old and a girl I liked invited me to camp. And God used that for me to hear the gospel. God has literally all creation at his disposal. To work out elements for us to hear the gospel, to come to ourselves, and to see our need. For some of you, God used death, or a human, of a friend, or a family member. God has all creation as disposal to cause to to cause us to come to our senses. And so here we have the first part of someone coming and surrendering to God as Lord. They understand they have a need. Listen, if, if we don't get that we have a need for God, what, what on earth are we getting saved from? If we think we're basically good, and if we think we're basically going to live out the, the rest of our days, and we're going to die and go to heaven no matter what we do, what are we getting saved from? We have to understand that we have a need that is going to be filled. We have to understand that we are not enough. Why the gospel hurts so much? Because in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. But with God, he saw us in our brokenness, and he saved us. So this young man was now broken, hires himself out. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in the, of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Now, by my version, I use the ESV, says he hired himself out. The better translation is... He joined himself to this person. This is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 19 when it says to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. Join yourself to your wife. Same word is used here. And so what he's saying is that he essentially became the child of this man. He went from the, being the child of a wealthy landowner and Enough to make him a prodigal son for at least a little while. And now he's joined himself, essentially being the, the, a hired servant or son of this man who won't even give him food to eat from the pigs. He's entering into a, a role of this man that would be this man's slave, essentially. Now this Jewish boy had has now stooped from being the son of a wealthy landowner, I just said that, then to a hired hand. Not only that, but he has joined himself to a people that were, were unclean. They were told not to join yourselves to people that were not Jews. And, and he's serving pigs, the most unclean of all animals, according to Jewish law. And remember, God is sovereign over all creation. So even the job when he, when we have, that we have can be used to point us back to our Heavenly Father who loves us. 
Even the most unclean jobs, serving pigs, their slop, can be used by God to call us home. Seeing our need is not always enough. Sometimes we have to be pushed even further before we hit rock bottom. As the Lord pursues this child, the sinner, he makes it even harder on Even now, he, he, is, he is now doing what he knows to be wrong, the sinner, so that he can make ends meet. He's doing what he knows will make him unclean. He's doing what he knows will separate him even further from his heritage, his father, and his religion, serving pigs and joining himself to this stranger. Well, God was not done with his pursuit of this son. And our text continues in verse 16. You'll look there. And he, its lost son, was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. In other words, he was literally at the point of being jealous of pigs. He was coveting. He was, he was longing for the sloth that pigs eat. This was the man's rock bottom. This was his son's rock bottom. He, he realized that he, he left his home where his family loved him. Even though he, he had his own world created in his mind, he, he left it and they loved him. He, he joined himself to a man, a foreign country, where pigs were more important to him than he was. The son was the lowest place yet. He had gone from a lavish prodigal living to sleeping and longing for the scraps of the pigs. You see, the destitution of this man is to, is, is to help us picture our life apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we always like to, let me step, step back, we always like to put ourselves in the hero of this story. <laughs> the father, the older son even. Far more often, we're, we have to see ourselves in this prodigal son. We go and we follow sin. We go and we do that which we know God hates. We make excuses saying, you know, God has got love. God has got grace. He'll, he'll, he'll welcome me back. It's okay if I sin because God will love me anyways. First of all, we're presuming on God's love. That's a dangerous thing to do. But it, this, the destitution of this man is to help us picture our life apart from Christ. Because our life apart from Christ, we are steeped in the, the sin. We are steeped in the, the uncleanness of serving, the, what in this case, was pigs. In fact, there was nothing that the son could have done in, in and of himself to save himself here. He couldn't have pulled himself up from his bootstraps. And if he had died where he was, which was his only, was his only uh, path forward, if he didn't go back to his father, was to die for feeding pigs, the, the pigs would, eat, would have consumed him. Well, guess what? When we, if we die in our sin, if we continue, continue on sinning, running from God, and continue and lay, leave it to ourselves, we would die in our sin. And the punishment for our sin would consume us. Our uncleanness would devour us, and we would be eternally, eternal enemies of God. But praise be to God, he doesn't leave us there. Praise be to God, he doesn't leave us in our mess. Our God sent Jesus that we would be saved from the sin that we lived in and, would bring, and he would bring us back. 
Our text continues in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he didn't do that on his own. That was, that was all of creation working together to call this son back to himself, to come to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here and hunger. We're going to stop here this morning. But I want you to see that when we come to ourselves, the work of the Spirit has been, has been profound in our lives. God can use anything in all creation to pursue us and bring us back. What, what has he been using this morning for you? For this man, for he used the, the worst possible situation. He used the, the, him going and spending everything he had, living in the, in the, with the pigs and feeding them slop and not even allowed to eat it. What has he been using this morning for you? What has he been using to pursue you? I want to look ahead to next week and see that the father does not accept him back as a hired hand as he, he says. He, his idea is, I'll go back and I'll be just be a hired hand for my father. I, I've offended him. I've broken the relationship with him. I've separated myself. I'll go back and be a slave. But when we look ahead, what do we see? We see our loving God. When he's a far way out. So this, this, this man's father wasn't just standing back. He was out in the fields looking for his son, working, keeping an eye out. And so when he's a far way off, this wealthy man, he runs to his son. He runs to his son and he embraces him. And he says, bring him the robe. Bring him the ring. Kill the fattened calf. Clothes him and calls him his son. For my son, that which was lost has now been found. Listen to me. When God pursues us, he doesn't just bring us back from the sin that has separated us and make us slaves. He brings us back as children of God. He brings us back as sons and daughters. And brings us into the riches of the kingdom. This morning, we got to celebrate as Chris took the first step of faith into the family of God. Who else is God pursuing this morning? There's nothing keeping us from our Lord except ourselves. See your need. Repent of your sins. And become a child of God. Let's go to the Lord. Father, you are good. And you are worthy to be praised. Father, I do pray that as we come to you this morning, that you'd be calling us, you'd be pursuing us. Out of our mess, out of our sin, you'd call us home to be with you. Father, we love you. In your precious son's name, I pray. Amen.